We are uh, again in the middle of a series about the life of Joseph. I was trying to tell me something and gets me off track. Uh, there is not an outline in the bulletin this morning, but there is a big blank space. Um, and that's mainly because I've I wrestled with this all week and kept wrestling and kept wrestling and uh, until it finally dawned on me that I was going about things in the wrong way. Um, and so there's not an outline, but I think it's fairly clear to follow. Um, just got a couple of things I want to talk about this morning. But we are in Genesis chapter 45, again, a series in the life of Joseph. And for several weeks, we've been talking about people besides Joseph, his dad and his brothers. And, um, but this morning, we're going to talk about Joseph at least a little bit as we continue to make our way uh, towards the end of the book of Genesis, which we have been in for a little while. So we will read uh, through that in just a moment. Uh, forgiveness is what we all desperately need to extend to others. You see, we're tempted to stop after the word need. Forgiveness is what we all desperately need. That's true. We do need that. The Bible speaks of the separation, the estrangement between us and God. And all of us need forgiveness. All of us need to come before God in repentance and faith and trust and receive that forgiveness. But ultimately, the Bible speaks, especially the New Testament, speaks a whole lot about our need to extend forgiveness to other people. And that's what this section of Scripture is about this morning. Our need to look at those who have hurt us and wounded us and offended us and extend forgiveness to them. For us to be able to, to move beyond the chains, literally the chains of anger and bitterness and hurt, move beyond the, the bonds of our past into wholeness. It's really difficult to do that when we hold on to those things and we're not willing to forgive those who have hurt us and who have wounded us. And I realize that for some of you, that's a whole lot harder to do than it is to say. Some of you have been wounded very deeply by people that were very close to you. And I don't, what I'm not going to do this morning is give you three nice, easy steps to be able to forgive someone. Number one, I don't think that's possible. <laughs> and if someone tells you they have that, uh, you might begin backing up. Forgiveness um, takes a lot of things, but what I do want to do this morning is I want to, I want to make sure that you are beginning on the right foundation. Because the, the building of forgiveness has to start somewhere and it has to start in the right place. So I want to I remove two faulty foundations this morning and I want to lay a proper foundation of how we begin to go through the process of forgiveness. And I think Joseph can help us do that. And the reason that this is pertinent for all of us, even if you think, oh, I don't have anybody to forgive, 
The reason that it's necessary for all of us to hear this is because you're human and you spend time with people. And if I haven't yet, or if the people that are sitting around you haven't yet, someone in this room, probably me at some point in time, is either going to offend you or hurt you or make you angry. And for your health, whether I deserve it or not, you need to forgive me. And at some point in time, some of you, if you haven't already, you're going to offend me or hurt me or make me angry. And for my spiritual health, I need to be able to forgive you as well. Not to mention the people that are outside these walls that we don't call brother and sister. They're going to hurt you and offend you and anger you as well. And we need to be able to forgive them. But there's a but not just for us. There's a, there's a more insidious issue that we oftentimes aren't even aware of of why we need to be able to forgive people. And the reason it's insidious is because it doesn't involve us at all. And so we don't recognize it because it doesn't, it's not about us, it's about God. You and I, the body of Christ have been given a stewardship, a responsibility to uphold His image. And when we hold on to bitterness, when we hold on to hurt, when we hold on to anger, when we refuse to forgive others, then we mar His image before the world. They look at us and they look at the world and go, I don't really see any difference, so why bother with this church thing? You look just like the world, as Paul would say in 1 Corinthians, why do you go to court with one another? All right, the world, when they get mad and they've been wrong, they sue someone. Or they try to compensate through medication or addiction or pleasure. And I fear that too often the church does the same thing. Instead of trying to forgive, instead of trying to figure out the issue, instead of trying to bring reconciliation, we just try to find another way around it. Bury it or medicate it or ease the pain in some way. Or lash out and seek justice and seek revenge and seek retribution. But unforgiveness by the people of God taints the image of God before the world. Unforgiveness by the people of God taints the image of God before the world. And we who bear that divine image should look different. Because God looks different from the world. He is different from the world. He is a God, as we have sung about, who made a way for our sin to be forgiven through the blood of the cross. And because that's what His character is like, that's what our character needs to be like. And I think Joseph helps us to see what that looks like. So let's look this morning at the first 15 verses from Genesis chapter 45. You remember the, the background. Joseph has been, has been rigging the deck, so to speak, for his family to see if they'd changed before he was willing to bring them down and settle them in Egypt and take care of them, he wanted to see had they really changed. 
Or were the patterns of sin that they were involved in just going to keep repeating themselves? And as he becomes convinced that they really have changed over time, we read these words. Then Joseph could control himself no longer before those who stood by him. And he cried, have everyone go out for me. So there was no man with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard of it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Please come closer to me. And they came closer. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me here before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry, go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son, Joseph. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not delay. You shall live in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will also provide for you for there are still five years of famine to come and you and your household and all that you have would be impoverished. Behold, your eyes see and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth which is speaking to you. Now you must tell my father of all my splendor in Egypt and all that you have seen, and you must hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother, ben- brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept on his neck. He kissed all his brothers and wept on them, and afterward his brothers talked with him. Let's pray. Fathers, we look at your word this morning. I pray that you would open our hearts, because we tend to want to keep them closed. I pray that you'd open our ears, that you would keep us from distraction. Because we're easily distracted. God, I pray ultimately that you'd open our wills and that we would be obedient to your word. God, we need you to do that because we are, we tend towards selfishness. So I pray that you'd allow us to see you clearly this morning through your word. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, There were tears and hugs and joy all around because finally they had been reconciled. 23 years since they had sold their brother into slavery. 23 years had gone by. The damages of sin, the wasted time. 23 years. And now there's tears, and there's embracing, and there's hugs, and there's conversation. But what gave Joseph the ability to forgive them? They needed forgiving. This was a lousy bunch of people. We, we read through the scriptures and we know the ending and we kind of, I think, I do, tend to forget the evil that they did to him. You know, at the very beginning of this story, we read how the brothers needed watching over. They, they really weren't very trustworthy. Two of them had tricked an entire village into doing something and then killed them all. Another one had slept with his father's wife. They hated and were jealous of their brother. And they would have killed him 
until they realized they could make some money off of him. These are these are not nice. These aren't just oh, they're my brothers who are who are sort of a little bent. They're broken. They're evil. How does he forgive that? Let me tell you what is not the foundation for his forgiveness. First, it's not because they changed. Now, he was in the process of trying to get them to change. In one sense, trying to force them to see if they would change. But that's not the foundation of his forgiveness. We saw the beginning of that back in chapter 41 when he named his children... And the naming of those children, number one, was that God had made him forget the evil that they'd done to him and that God had prospered him where he was. And that's a hint that forgiveness was already beginning. You see, he was able to rig the situation and help them see where they had gone wrong because he already had forgiven them. See, it's never a good idea to base our forgiveness on someone else on whether they change or not. Because sometimes people don't change. And if we're waiting around for someone to change before we forgive them, well, we might wait a really long time. In fact, we might wait into eternity. Because some people just don't change. We have a perfect example of that on the cross. See, Jesus was able to say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Not because they'd already changed. They hadn't changed. But because He trusted His Father. Another hint as to the foundation of forgiveness. You see, if Jesus had waited around for us to change... Forgiveness would never have happened because we are unable to change on our own. Humanity is not going to change unless God intervenes. Oh yeah, we might clean ourselves up and look nice and smile and, and stop doing a bad habit now and then. But God didn't need us just to clean up a little bit and stop doing bad things to be reconciled to us. We needed forgiveness because we were offensive to God. All of us were offensive to God. Some of you may have read in the news recently about uh, a murder trial taking place in Pennsylvania about an abortion doctor whose last name is Gosnell. And if you read those accounts, how horrific that situation was, he wasn't just performing abortions. He was, he was killing children who'd been born alive. And we grieve over that and we weep over that. And we think, how could someone be so evil? And yet what most of what I've read from believers, there's been a lot of talk about what he needs. He needs to be punished. He needs to be killed. He needs to be... And I haven't read anybody say he needs Jesus. Because getting rid of one evil man is not going to solve the problem. 
humanity needs forgiveness. And passing laws and changing behavior is not going not gonna to stop the evil that people do to one another. So a change of behavior is not, gonna, is not the right foundation for forgiveness. Neither is time. Neither is time. We can, like I said, we can wait a long, long time in hopes that our wounds become less acute in hopes that our bitterness kind of slowly dissipates, in hopes that our anger kind of becomes numb. But, but that old saying, time heals all wounds, is not really true. I can get some wounds that time won't heal. I can get some wounds that I need a surgeon for immediately. <laughs> and some people have wounded us to the point that time's not going to fix that. Well, you may be able to numb it, you may be able to put it on the back shelf, but time's not going to take it away. Which is why Jesus on the cross, right, He didn't wait several years and then He announced forgiveness. He, he didn't allow time to pass and go, let me get over the fact that they put me on a cross and drove nails through my hands. That my dearest, closest disciples abandoned me. Let, me. let me let that heal a little bit before I say, Father, forgive them. Time didn't go by. And so if we're waiting to forgive, if that's our foundation is, let me let some time go by, then we're building forgiveness on the wrong foundation. Now, that doesn't mean that forgiveness is not a time process. That doesn't mean that forgiveness doesn't take time, because it does, because we're human, and because hurts aren't healed immediately. But if that's our foundation, if that's what we're, we're basing forgiveness on, is the passage of time, then we've missed something important. Oh, I'd be the first to say, forgiveness does take time, certainly. There are things that we have to work through with God, Allow Him to work in our heart before that happens. But it's not the foundation. The foundation of our forgiveness is God's sovereign goodness. The foundation, the only foundation that we need to build forgiveness on, and part of that building may include time, but the only foundation is God's sovereign goodness. And I think this passage points to that in a couple of ways. Number one, there's a literary structure in, in Hebrew called chiasm where, where an author will, will repeat himself at the beginning and the end of a passage. And he'll repeat himself right after the beginning and right before the end. And he'll repeat himself right after that and right before that. And, and he's... What he's doing is creating a funnel to point you to the main idea of what he's talking about. And Moses does that here. At the beginning of this passage, there's weeping. And at the end of the passage, there's weeping. Right after that, at the beginning of the passage, Joseph reveals the truth of who he is to his brothers and asks, is his father still alive? 
And then right before the end of the passage, he tells his brothers to reveal to his father the truth. We'll get into some more of that next week about what that truth included, which would have been difficult for them. Then at the beginning of the passage, right after that, there's the idea of come closer to me and see who I really am. And then right before him asking the brothers, he says, you do see who I really am. These words, these ideas keep repeating themselves and we keep funneling into the main point. He mentions that there's five more years of famine. There's five more years of famine. And then in the very center of this passage, the very middle of this passage, verse 8, Now therefore it was not you who sent me here, but God. See, Joseph understood that despite the fact that his brothers were sinful and had done a great evil, Ultimately, God's sovereignty was bigger than that. And not just His sovereignty, His goodness in that sovereignty. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. It was not you who sent me here, but God. And I have to confess that that sometimes is hard to swallow because... People have done things to us. People have gotten us where we are today. I'm sure there's a lot of you that can say, I am who I am because of what someone has done to me or the way I was raised or what I was taught. I'm not saying this is easy. But I'm saying this is the foundation of of what God through Joseph and his brothers wants to teach us is that forgiveness. When he says in verse 5, don't be grieved and angry with yourselves anymore. For them still to be grieved, for them still to be angry with themselves is a sure sign that they don't know they've been forgiven. They don't get it yet. And he says, don't be. You sent me here, but it really wasn't you. It was God. Joseph can forgive them because he knows that God redeems even the most vilest of actions and can turn those into something that brings him honor and glory. And if we don't believe that God can can break through our pain, if we don't believe that God is powerful enough to use our hurt for His glory, then we probably are going to have a really hard time forgiving. It's going to be very difficult. Now, it's easy for us to say that because, see, we, we know the whole story and Joseph understands. He's been given dreams. Joseph sees the big picture of what God's doing. We say, yeah, easy for you, Joseph. I'm still in the middle of it. I'm still suffering the consequences of the evil of my brothers or my family or a dear friend or life. Right? It's easy to, it's easy to read Scripture and 
all the, all the loose ends are tied up. We know how the story ends. We know the good guys win here. And yet we're in the middle of it still. And it's more difficult. And that's why I don't have three easy steps for you. But I am convinced that that's the foundation. That if we don't believe in God's sovereign goodness, we will begin building on the wrong foundation. And even if we do some right things, that forgiveness will be shaky. That forgiveness will not ultimately free us. The fact that God took a slave and made him ruler of the land of Egypt should be an encouragement to us. That God can work through really bad situations and bring something good out of it. And so we need to see God's sovereignty. It would be good for us as God's people to to spend time dwelling on God's sovereignty and the good that comes out of the fact that He is sovereign. It's good for us to spend time in God's Word thinking about Him as, as Creator, that He made it all, that He understands it all. Maybe that's a good starting point. That we spend time in Genesis or maybe First John chapter 1, God created it all. He's in control. He planned it out. And then begin just thinking through the story that God has told us. That that God could even use Abraham and his wife Sarah who made so many mistakes. And he still was able to bring about the child of promise in Isaac. That he was able to work through their sin and their doubt and their disbelief to bring about a promise. And of course the story of Joseph and his family but we, we fast forward even through that and we look at the life of Moses and we look at the people as they were coming out of Egypt and they're complaining and they're whining and they're griping and their complete disbelief that God could do what He promised He would do. And yet, through that and His sovereignty and His orchestrating events, He brought them in to the promised land and delivered the promise that he had given to Abraham 430 years earlier. That's a long time for people to mess things up. <laughs> and then the people over time did what God told them not to do and they asked for a king. Demanded a king and God even worked through that and raised up several godly men People like David and Hezekiah and Josiah who God used to steer the nation back into a, a, a fuller understanding of who God was and what He was about. And even in their ultimate sin when He said, enough's enough, I told you, I'm going to remove you from the land. Even when His presence left the temple, even when His people were removed from the land, even when His place of worship, the temple was destroyed, And they were taken off by a cruel and a wicked people. God said, pray for the people that you find yourself with. Because one day I'm going to deliver you from that. 
And if you're in the midst of that, you say, that's not possible. These people are the most powerful people on earth. It's not possible that we're going to survive this. They're known for their cruelty. They're known for separating people so that they can be in control. And yet just a generation and a half later, that powerful empire in the world, the Babylonians, were overrun by the Persians. A people whose intention was because they thought they could get better control of people. If we let people go back to the land where they were born, we can better control them. And so the Persians came on the world stage and they said, all you Jews can go back home if you want to. The sovereignty of God, the goodness of God, the promises of God. And then we come to the New Testament. And we see that in God's great plan of redemption, He sends His Son for us. And we tried to mess that up. <laughs> we read just a couple of weeks ago about Jesus coming into Jerusalem and weeping because they didn't recognize who He was. They missed their Messiah. And yet in His sovereign goodness, He turned that for good because as they sent Him to the cross, He took our sin upon Himself and offered us forgiveness. If we do not base our forgiveness on God's sovereign goodness, we're building on the wrong foundation. I really wish that I could snap my fingers or give you a three-step process of, of feeling wholeness, of feeling release from what people have done to you over the years, of experiencing what it means to forgive. can't give you that, but, but I'm sure from the Word of God that if we don't begin on the foundation that God is sovereign and God is good and God can change us and God can take that evil and turn it for good as we sing, then we won't get there the way we need to. And we won't experience the freedom that comes when we're able to extend forgiveness to someone else even when they don't deserve it. You see, I'm not convinced that even though the brothers had changed, from my own perspective, I'm still not convinced that they deserve forgiveness because they wasted 23 years of that family's life. 23 years of a father and a son who loved each other, not able to know that the other was even alive. You can't fix that. You can't take that back. You can't take those 23 years and say, oh, it's okay. They're gone. And so from my perspective, I think they don't deserve forgiveness. But Joseph was able to see a bigger purpose And Joseph understood the character of God that he does things behind the scenes that really are for our good. And so he was able to fall on the neck of those people that tried to sell him and tried to kill him and weep and rejoice together.
And that's my prayer for us, is that we would, whether we ever see that day or not, that we'd be able to experience that joy of, of releasing someone who has harmed us and hurt us. And that ultimately only comes through the power of Christ in us. First, as we experience His forgiveness. Because the issue is, whether we want to compare ourselves to Joseph's brothers or to that abortion doctor in Pennsylvania, our actions sent Christ to the cross. In the same way that Joseph's brothers and that doctor sent Christ to the cross. We may think there are worse consequences for some sin. We may be revolted more by some sin. But a holy God is offended by your sin and my sin in the same way. We, we don't measure up to His glory. We're selfish. And ultimately, that offends a holy God. And so when we understand the depravity of our sin and the goodness of God, it can help us on our way to recognizing that we too can offer that to someone else. Let's pray together. Father, as we um, wrestle with this difficult issue, God, I confess that sometimes I just don't, I don't want to, I mean, I want to hold on to bitterness and anger a little bit because it sometimes just feels good. And I'm convinced that they don't deserve it. Or maybe I've forgiven them in word, but I still just, I kind of harbor it. And I use it as an excuse for the way I live and the way I make decisions and the way I behave. So God, I, I pray that you would Help me to see your forgiveness and your goodness and your sovereignty in the things that have happened in my life. And I pray the same for my dear brothers and sisters that are sitting here. Help us, God, to see your sovereignty and your goodness. We need that in so many ways. And God, I pray as we enter into our week, as, as, as we come across people, even little things, God, help us to, to see bigger pictures that you can use those things for our good and ultimately for your glory. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.